0: S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Camp Dino... Bo and Zeta came across tribal masks covered in the blue while out practicing with their dinos. They fled the scene and hid in Boom's watchtower, where they overheard Boom and Pa talking about an imminent threat on the camp, and the blue has something to do with it. A sound distracted Pa and Boom long enough for Bo and Zeta to sneak away on the back of Echo. And as they flew away... Bo saw firelight glowing in the distance. And now for episode 9, Survival of the Thinnest. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Camp Dino. Bo woke up the next morning sore all over. He wasn't sure if it was from climbing that huge boulder with Zeta or if it was from the bumpy ride on Echo's back. Either way, it made for a long, uncomfortable morning. Bo continued to harass Zeta about searching for Gavin, but she wouldn't budge. She kept insisting that Gavin was just acting out and that he clearly didn't want to be around them anyway. Bo persisted. He was convinced something had happened to Gavin. Every day he asked the counselors if they'd heard any news, and all they kept telling him was that Gavin was still missing. Kirby was apparently out looking for him, but now Bo was starting to wonder if Kirby was lost somewhere in the jungle too. A few days went by, and Bo was starting to feel panicked. What were Kirby and Gavin living off of out there? Were they captured, or... Eaten by a dinosaur? Had they gone home? Did those warnings he and Zeta saw have anything to do with it? Bo's worries followed him everywhere he went and made him extra distracted during their classes. At one point, he accidentally triggered the T-Rex chandelier to drop in the middle of Dr. Rex's lecture when he mistook Dr. Rex's chandelier remote for a walkie-talkie and tried to call for Kirby. That one was embarrassing. Dr. Helga Bronson's classes in the arena were a little better, but only because Bo and Zeta had been practicing with their dinosaurs every day. Dr. Bronson noted their progress while they were running stairs with their dinos, and commended them. Dr. Skye's meditation classes were still utterly terrifying, but Bo had been using the opportunity of being so high up in the nest to look out over the jungle for signs of Gavin, Kirby, or that strange firelight he'd seen glowing the night they flew away from the watchtower. But there was no sign of anything. Finally, one morning, in an act of desperation, Bo decided he would go digging through Gavin's stuff to see if he could find any clues as to where he went. It was foggy outside, and he awoke to streams of toilet paper hanging down from the branches. Apparently Ash and his carnivores had TP'd their sleep tree in the middle of the night. Nobody had proof it was them, but it was safe to assume they were the only ones brash and mean enough to do it. Dr Rex, who was the counselor assigned to their tree, stormed out of his yurt on one of the upper branches, furious. It had rained during the night, and now the toilet paper was wet, sticky, and impossible to simply yank off. Bo had never seen Dr. Rex so mad. Desecrating this tree with poo paper? Really? While Dr. Rex shouted into the other boy's sleep tree, Bo climbed up the ladder to Gavin's treepee. As he crawled inside, he found that he wasn't the first to think of going through Gavin's stuff. Get out of here, Tuku! Bo waved Tuku away from Gavin's bag and the chubby monkey menace made off with a wallet, howling angrily as he hopped out. (laughs) Bo looked around at what was left. There was a small pile of clothes in one corner, a little box of half-eaten snacks from the galley that lizards were now digging through, and a few woodworking projects Gavin had obviously been working on. Bo picked up a wooden knife that had been carved out of a tree branch. There was another one just like it lying by the sleeping bag, only that one was half complete. Holding both knives, Bo looked them over. There were letters carved into the handle. One knife had a letter Z cut into it, and the other had a B. B and C, Bo whispered, running his thumbs over the letters. He froze. B, and C. After going through the rest of Gavin's stuff, Bo zipped down the tree, untied Buck from the trunk, and ran to his first class. Ma and Pa were teaching a special lesson in the cavern. It was rare they got a class in the cavern. Pa said that most of the time it was flooded, but with the chute's water level down, the cavern had emptied, and Bo and the other students piled into it. Bo had never been inside such a big cave. The slimy, wet walls were lit with flickering torches. Long stalactites hung from the ceiling and dripped water into dark pools. Cave bacon, a strange rock formation that looked surprisingly like actual bacon, fanned out and glowed in the torchlight. Buck bit onto some and was disappointed to find it lacking the smoky pork flavor of Sloppy Joe's delicious bacon. (laughs) Bo pulled him away from the formations and guided him into the main room of the cavern. Ma and Pa were standing in the center of the room in front of an enormous stalagmite that looked like a giant melting chocolate cake. A circle of torches lit the large cave and luminescent beetles glowed blue on the dark ceiling above growls and groans from the surrounding dinosaurs echoed off the walls. Mon Pa, dressed in their best caving outfits, waited for all of the kids to get settled. Bo saved a seat for Zeta on one of the smooth rocks and looked around. A thin-backed Dimetrodon was drinking from one of the pools, and another kid was struggling to keep her ankylosaurus from eating a dead bat on the ground. Whoa, stop it, Jasmine! It could have rabies! The girl said. Bo scrunched his face. Jasmine? Really? The more he looked around, the more he realized how few of the kids he actually knew. There were a lot of familiar faces, but Bo couldn't remember anyone's names. Which was sad, considering he shared his classes with several of them. Bo felt bad when a girl, Tina or Tanya, gave him a friendly wave and said... Hi, Bo. Hi, Buck. After a smile and a wave, Bo told himself that he had to get better at remembering people's names. It was a skill he hadn't practiced much, being homeschooled in the middle of nowhere. But now he was finally around a bunch of other kids, and that meant he'd have to adapt. And learning people's names was a good place to start. He listened intently to conversations going on around him. Every time he heard a name being said... He locked onto that name and whispered it over and over while looking at that person's face. He used this technique to memorize facts from books before taking a test back home. As he scanned the room, whispering to himself, he overheard Ash and his friends bragging about teepeeing the blue sleep tree. Did you see me get that roll into Todd's Treepy?" Ash was saying. He was all... (laughs) That was hilarious. The carnivores all laughed around him. Bo shook his head and pulled Buck away from chewing on a small stalagmite. After some fussing, Buck finally let it go and sat next to Bo, only to immediately start chasing a glowing beetle nearby. <laughs> Bo was starting to get used to Buck's spazziness. In fact, he'd noticed over the last week how much better Buck was at listening to his commands, even if it got him to sit still for just a few seconds. Zeta walked up and tied her triplets' leashes to a stalagmite. Did you go for another run? Bo asked as she sat down. Zeta glanced over her shoulders. Actually, I climbed the galley. Don't tell anyone. I couldn't help myself. It has all these vines and broken porthole windows to grab onto. Oh, it was awesome. You should see those captain's quarters up close. Did you know there's still a skeleton up there in one of the chairs? That's gross. And we've been eating under it this whole time? Hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Buck was now playing with Toot, Scoot, and Shoot. They ran around the stalagmites and took turns pouncing on glowing beetles. (coughs) Bo nodded to them. Bet it's nice not to be carrying them around in the backpack everywhere. Yeah, it was time. They don't fit anymore. They'd gotten so fat it was like carrying around a bag of bowling balls but the best part, by far, is not unzipping my backpack to get a notebook out and unleashing one of Toot's trapped farts. I'd forgotten what a fresh backpack smells like. Pa cleared his throat as the last few kids and dinosaurs settled down. <clears throat> Does anyone recognize this man? An old black-and-white photo was suddenly projected onto the massive stalagmite behind him. The class went quiet except for a few coughs. Zeta elbowed Bo. Oh, come on, don't pretend like you don't know the answer. Bo rolled his eyes and slowly raised his hand. Pa pointed at him. Yes, Bo. That's Sir Richard Owen, the paleontologist that came up with the name Dinosaur. That is correct. Well done, Bo. Sir Richard Owen of England coined the term dinosaur around 1840 while studying some of the fossils that were found by his peers. The word dinosaur is Greek for terrible lizard. Although I think most of us would agree that they aren't terrible after all, but extraordinary. And they are not lizards, they are reptiles. Great Britain was home to the first major dinosaur discoveries in the early 1800s. Reverend William Buckland discovered some bones and teeth of a specimen that became known as Megalosaurus, or Big Lizard, in 1824. Parr clicked his remote to change the projected images. The first major discovery of dinosaurs in North America was made by Joseph Leidy, who found teeth and bones in the state of Montana in 1858. To this day, the western territories are rich in dinosaur history. Ma stepped forward. There was a period known as the Bone Rush, much like the California Gold Rush of the mid eighteen hundreds. Rival teams travelled around in search of dinosaur bones. By the early nineteen hundreds, major museums even sponsored such expeditions. Pa's grandfather was among those who ventured into the wilderness in search of these magnificent creatures. By the 1930s, World War II and the Great Depression slowed down such excursions. But when the dust settled, excitement began to build again. By the 1960s, we were in a dinosaur renaissance, and discoveries were being made regularly. Questions were being answered, and our knowledge was expanding. Despite the competition that surrounded early discoveries, despite those early heated scientific debates... Despite the differing opinions on how to handle the samples, these groups shared one thing in common their passion for dinosaurs. We're not being tested on this stuff, right? Zeta whispered to Bo. Doubt it. But if we are, I can help you out. It's pretty basic stuff, it's just the dates that get tricky. By the way, Bo pulled out the wooden knives. Check it out. Zeta took the knives. Sweet! You making me a present? What? No. You really think I could carve something like that? So where'd you get them? Where do you think? Ah, so now you're snooping through Gavin's stuff. Zeta, we gotta figure out where he went. So yeah, I went through his treepy. And maybe tried on one of his tank tops. Didn't fit, did it? I was swimming in it, but that's beside the point. Look at the handles, notice anything interesting? The letters B and Z? Gavin knows the alphabet? B and Z? Bo pointed between them. It finally dawned on Zeta. Bo and Zeta? He was carving these for us? Bingo was his name-o. See, I told you he considered us friends. Fine, he thought we were friends, so what? So, we need to go looking for him. He's lost out there, Sato. We gotta do something. Bo, you care way too much about this friend-loyalty stuff. We don't owe Gavin anything. Clearly, this friend-loyalty stuff isn't important enough to you. Let me guess, it's because you bounced around a lot and never had time to really make close friends as a military kid? Uh, excuse me? Pretty rich coming from someone who's clearly lacked in the friendship department and is now desperate to hold on to whatever he has. Touché. So we both have friendship issues. I don't care. What I do care about is Gavin getting eaten by Ash's raptor in the middle of the jungle. You have to care about that too. (sighs) Yeah, I guess. A kid in front of them whirled around to shush them. Shh. You shh. Zeta shot back. Your brachiosaurus' breathing is louder than her talking. The kid glared at her and turned back around. I'll think about it, okay? Zeta said, tying her hair up into a bun. Okay, Bo said. After class, the kids started sliding down the wet, sloping rock passages to get out of the cavern. Pa pulled Bo aside before it was his turn. Bo, a word? Bo followed Pa over to the far wall by one of the torches. Pa looked concerned. Everything going okay with you and Buck? Bo looked around him and saw Buck running around the cavern, his cheeks full of glowing beetles. The T-Rex sneezed and a glowing bug shot out his nostril. (coughs) It's getting there. Bo said, "We're making progress. I haven't been eaten yet, so that's got to be worth something." Pa chuckled uncomfortably. <laughs> "I'd say," he played with his green suspenders. "Bo, I was wondering if you've seen anything out of the ordinary lately." Bo played dumb. "Like what?" "Oh, I don't know. Strange things in the jungle." Things that may be spook Buck here? He studied Bo's reaction, which was impressively stoic. Bo considered telling Pa about the masks he'd seen pinned to the trees and the painting of a T-Rex and the blue, but something told him he'd just get another made-up story to put him at ease. That or Pa would just force Bo and Buck to stay in a yurt for the rest of camp, and that would mean Bo couldn't go looking for Gavin. I don't think so. Bo said, pretending to rack his brain. Okay, okay, all right. Just checking. Why? Should I be seeing something? No, 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 not necessarily. Buck is just a special dino, and special dinos have a way of attracting trouble. I want to make sure you both feel safe. If anything comes up that doesn't seem right, I want you to come straight to me, understand? Bo squinted. Does this have something to do with Gavin's disappearance? Pa scratched his gray, curly hair. I appreciate your concern for Gavin. As I'm sure you've heard, Kirby is out there looking for him. Gavin, like many of our dinosaurs, is a free spirit. A wild soul that doesn't like much to be contained. But I'm confident he'll turn up. Don't you worry. That hadn't really answered Bo's question, but when Bo opened his mouth to say as much, Buck started gagging on a piece of stalactite. <coughs> Sorry, I gotta. Pa smiled. I'll leave you to it. Bo ran over and performed the Heimlich for the hundredth time on his T Rex. After a few hard hugging squeezes, Buck burped up a glowing pile of guck. <coughs> Bo stared at it in disgust. Guess I'm skipping lunch today. After Bo and Buck had slid down the passageways out of the cavern, they caught up with Zeta in front of the sleep trees. Together, they took the low, flowing chute down to their wilderness survival class with Doctor Lovkin. Bo was relieved to find that they weren't the last ones to arrive. The last thing he needed was to give Lovekin another excuse to hate his guts. Looking as gruff and hairy as ever, Dr. Lovekin barely even looked at him as he assembled the kids and their dinos outside the shanty, did a quick head count, and then led everyone into the jungle. His disgusting wild hogs snorted by his side as they hiked through the trees. Lovekin was mumbling to everyone as they walked, but as usual no one understood a word. Gonna find a night bottle and be a little shelter for the night," he grunted. Then y'all go to sleep in sleeping. Did he just say we're making shelters and sleeping in them? A curly-haired girl whispered back to the group. Several of the kids groaned. What's that? Zeta asked Doctor Lovkin a few minutes later after they jumped over a stream. What what? Lovkin stopped and looked at her through the giant wad of hair that was his face. Zeta heard more grunts and realized it was Cutie Pie she was hearing. Oh, uh, never mind. Hmm. Dr. Lovekin himself gave a very boar like grunt before turning and marching on. He grabbed galley snacks out of a pouch and tossed them down to his hog. Here you go, Pie. not fat. <laughs> <laughs> Cutie Pie snorted gleefully as she gobbled up the treats. The wild pig was clearly enjoying their little excursion, except for the couple of moments when Buck nipped at her. Dr. Lovekin berated Bo every time the T-Rex got within a few feet of his nasty pig. So Bo did his best to keep Buck at the back of the line. For most of the hike, he was keeping an eye out for any more signs of tribal masks or dinosaur paintings on the trees and boulders. So far he hadn't seen anything. In front of him, Zeta was taking the opportunity to practice guiding shoot, toot, and scoot along the trail, occasionally using treats to bribe them along. When Scoot got extra lazy or toot took too long going to the bathroom, she had Bo get Buck to push them on. <laughs> Finally, after an hour of trekking through the jungle, Dr. Lovekin came to a stop in a wide clearing. It was an incredible spot, with multiple streams, a couple of waterfalls, and several fallen trees that were now covered in moss and sprouting flowers. There were even ancient relics scattered about. Stone pillars with carvings of an indigenous people that were tipped over or covered almost entirely in vines. Did the ball, Lovekin grunted. I'm going to show you the beta to make it shatter. Out of my demonstration, you're all going to make one to sleep at night. Did you catch that? Bo whispered to Zeta. All I heard was Demo Train and sleeping in tonight? Yeah, I don't think that was it. It finally clicked as everyone watched Dr. Lovekin start to gather supplies and build a shelter. As he spoke his native grunt knees, the kids discovered that Kiara, the girl with the parasauril office, was actually able to understand Lovekin surprisingly well. Apparently her brother broke his jaw one summer and she had to learn how to understand him. Everyone leaned in as she quietly translated. Stay on, you're gonna find a sign. He's saying that step one in building a wilderness shelter is choosing the right site. Oh. The kids were all in awe at her translating ability. Lovkin continued his grunts and mumbles while Kiara related the message. He says you want to find a dry, flat space. If it's not flat, rainwater can run down a slope into your shelter. The next step is to assess your needs. Does your shelter need to be hidden from danger, or do you want it to be visible to passersby? How cold is it outside? Do we need to build a fire right outside the shelter or even in it? That will obviously not be the case out here in the jungle. Never gonna look around and see what supplies are gonna work with. Next, you will look around the area to see what supplies or tools you have to work with. For instance, I see thick branches around. We can use those as poles for a teepee. We assemble the post like this and cover it with these thick, water-repelling leaves. There are also several fallen trees in the area. We can build a fallen tree shelter by propping the branches up against the trunk and covering it with leaves and more branches. You can always combine these types of shelters or fabricate your own. He knows the word fabricate, whispered one of the kids. No, I added that in there. Kiara said. The kids all listened in amazement as Kiara translated into English how to build an A-frame shelter, a debris teepee, a lean-to, a brush shelter with a smoke hole, and several more structures. Once Lovkin was done with his demonstration, he stopped and looked at Kiara. You been translating for me? Kiara flushed. Um, no? Lovkin grunted and shouted something else that made him sound like a constipated bear. Everyone waited for Kiara to relay the message, which was that they had until nightfall to make their shelters. Bo and Zeta got to work making a couple of impressive fallen tree shelters by leaning thick branches against a fallen tree and covering them with big rubber leaves. When they got stuck, they examined Lovkin's example and realized they needed to weave the leaves between the branches to keep them from sliding off. Night came shortly after they'd finished their shelters. They didn't look pretty, but they'd at least protect them from the rain, which was a typical nuisance on most nights in the jungle. Lovekin walked around the campsite, helping kids start fires outside their shelters and making sure the little huts were up to snuff. He seemed especially impressed with Ash's yurt. He and his carnivore friends had made three of them that wrapped around a large tree and were connected by little lean-to hallways. Of course, in order to create their masterpiece, they had to steal branches from the other kids' shelters. Some of the dinosaurs in camp decided to take up all the space in some of the shelters and growled at any of the kids that dared to intrude. Buck and the triplets were just fine wandering around outside. I'm going to get some more kindling for the fire, Zeta said, putting the last giant leaf on her shelter. Watch the triplets for me. You got it. Bo said, tossing Buck a piece of jerky from his oversized backpack. A minute later, Bo heard Zeta call for him. Bo, come here! Bo tied off the dino's leashes and ran over to the outskirts of camp, where Zeta was standing in a shallow hole. What's up? I don't know if I'm imagining things, but there's something about this hole that doesn't seem right. It was too dark for Bo to tell. Hold on. He ran over and grabbed an empty, clear water bottle, scooped up several glowing insects by the creek, and came running back with a glowing bug lantern. The blue light illuminated the area around Zeta. Bo's eyes went big. It's a footprint. I knew there was something weird about it, Zeta said, stepping out and taking a look for herself. Bo held the blue bug lantern over the footprint and mumbled to himself, Let's see, three rounded toes, aggressive stomp. It's a stegosaurus print, an adult stegosaurus print. Bo and Zeta looked at each other for a long moment. How's that possible? Zeta asked. I thought all of the dinosaurs at Camp Dino were young. Bo stared over the print in disbelief. They are. What's going on? I don't know, but we should probably head back before Buck eats Lufkin's pig. They headed back to camp and threw the kindling on their fire. Shoot, Toot, and Scoot were fascinated with Bo's makeshift lantern, and it kept them entertained the rest of the night. Once all the tinfoil dinners were eaten and the dinosaurs were tethered to trees, the kids tucked in for the night. Some groaned at the breeze blowing through the cracks in their huts. Others whined about the bugs and critters coming through the front doors. One kid fought with his iguanodon that kept chewing the leaves off his hut. Ash and his buddies were laughing about who knows what, and Bo fell fast asleep on a pile of fuzzy moss. Hours later, Bo was suddenly jolted awake by the sound of squealing. He jumped out of his shelter and found Buck chasing Cutie Pie through camp. Bo rubbed his eyes. He could barely make out their shapes in the moonlight. We're going out there, Cutie Pie? He heard Lovkin shout from his perfect teepee. Bo ran after Buck. Buck, stop it! Get back here! The T-Rex chased the squealing hog into the jungle and Bo ran after them. Buck, stop now! Bo ordered, but Buck wasn't listening like little dinosaur's hunger had taken over. His primal instinct to hunt was in overdrive. They ran further and further into the jungle. Though chubby, Cutie Pie was surprisingly agile for a wild hog. Every time Buck got within biting distance, she jerked in another direction. Bo was having a hard time keeping up with them. He ran as hard as he could, ducking under vines and tripping over roots. He saw a faint orange light up ahead. It grew bigger and bigger until a campfire became clearly visible. When they reached it, Buck skidded to a stop and growled. (sniffs) Cutie Pie frantically turned around and ran for her life. Buck didn't chase after her. He just lowered his head and continued to growl. (sniffs) Beau looked around the small camp. There were spears propped up against a tree, a leather water jug hung from a branch, and a blanket was laid out next to an impressive branch teepee. Bo stiffened as his eyes stopped on a pile of tribal masks that were stacked next to the fire. All of them appeared to be streaked with the blue that glowed under the moonlight. Each mask was painted differently. One had a blue X on the forehead, Another had two blue streaks down the cheeks. There was even some blue on the tips of the spears. Normally, Bo would be terrified in a situation like this. But for the moment, he found himself feeling more curious than frightened. He stepped closer to the pile of masks despite Buck's persistent growling. He reached the stack of masks and reached for one. A twig snapped outside of camp, and Bo quickly pulled Buck behind a tree. Ducking out of sight, Bo held his hand over Buck's mouth to keep him quiet. Then carefully and slowly, he peeked around the trunk. A glowing blue line was emerging from the jungle and making its way to the fire. When it reached the firelight, it was revealed to be a line of blue painted down the middle of a tribal mask. The man wearing it was strong and had a coat of dino skin across his chest and legs. He carried a spear and an exotic spotted deer dangled across his shoulders. He circled the fire and dropped the limp animal beside the coals and squatted down next to it his back to Bo. Bo watched with intense curiosity as the silhouette of a man took off the mask and tossed it onto the pile of other masks. Distracted by the scene, Bo loosened his grip on Buck's mouth, and the T-Rex growled. <laughs> the man by the fire turned at the sound, and Bo's adrenaline kicked in. Run, Buck! He pulled Buck's leash, and they sprinted back through the jungle, the firelight getting smaller and smaller behind them. After a few wrong turns, Bo found his way back to his shelter, where he saw Dr. Lovekin and all the kids out of their huts waiting for him. ''Bo, are you okay?'' Zeta said, running up to him. ''Where you been?'' Lovkin spat furiously. ''Been looking for your are your dinosaur scare, cutie pie Cutie-pie whined at the side. <sighs> ''I'm sorry, there was a camp out there, and a, a hunter,'' Bo said out of breath. ''A hunter? Uh, Where?'' Bo pointed behind him. ''Out there, there were masks and, and spears.'' Lovekin's face grew furious. Everybody pack up. Let's go. We're heading back. He said to pack up. Kiara told the group, not bothering to hide her translation. We're going back to our sleep trees. Most of the kids were relieved to hear this. They gladly packed up their things and followed Doctor Lovekin back through the dark jungle to their sleep trees. Along the way, Doctor Lovekin kept giving Bo and Buck sour looks. Bo told Zeta what he'd found. "'Did you talk to the guy?' Zeta asked. "'Um, no. Would you have? "'He had like ten spears nearby, and he'd just come back from hunting. "'The guy knew how to use a weapon. "'And he had a bunch of masks? "'At least five. I almost grabbed one, but he came back before I could. "'You think it's just one guy that's been hanging all those masks everywhere?' Bo shrugged. "'Possible.' He had a bunch of them. The weird thing is, he didn't chase us. Buck and I just took off and he stayed put. If he was really dangerous, wouldn't he have come after us? And if he was there the last time we found masks, he didn't chase us then either. Maybe we should tell Pa. Not yet. Pa will probably make us stay in our sleep trees if he finds out. Let's find Gavin first, and then we can tell him. Fine. Zeta reached the red sleep tree and climbed up to her branch. Bo tied Buck to the base of his tree and then rose up the lift past the blue lanterns to his branch. As he walked out to his treepee, he stopped just before climbing in. He heard a low rumbling noise approaching camp. He turned and looked towards the camp gate. A single spotlight was making its way down the trail. There was a loud bang from a gun, and the gate slowly opened. With the rev of an engine, a motorcycle sped into camp. Beau smiled. It was Kirby. rocketeers i hope you like that episode of camp dino let's give some shout outs to some of our patrons christopher and everett from upstate new york thank you so much for your support that letter you wrote christopher was awesome your predictions were really pretty good they're pretty intense and i have to say one of my favorite food groups is candy as well i can totally relate my sweet tooth is ferocious (laughs) I also want to shout out our patrons Fenya and Nova from Vancouver, Canada. Thank you so much, Fenya and Nova, for supporting the show. And Reiner in Santa Cruz, California, I'm glad you like Space Train and Grandpa's Globe. I hope you're enjoying Camp Dino. And Ethan and Lucy, who are listening to Camp Dino and are studying fossils at the same time, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Rocketeers. Every bit of support helps. All your words of encouragement help. I love it. Thank you so much. I have a few Apple reviews. This one says, Excellent. Each story is well written and narrated, though I would prefer more diversity in the characters. Now, I wanted to read this review because it's a really important point. So, in case you haven't noticed, most of my characters, I try not to go into too much physical detail. A lot of times I'll describe somebody as just maybe having dark hair. Um, Occasionally, you know, I might make it more obvious maybe what um, a person's ethnicity is. Or, you know, obviously if I say somebody's a redhead, you kind of have a a pretty clear picture of what that person looks like. Um, But I'm intentionally leaving out uh, a lot of descriptive words when it comes to talking about these characters. Because I want people of... A variety of backgrounds, ethnicities, whatever, to be able to plug themselves into these stories. so so, if you find me lacking some descriptive details, know that I'm doing that intentionally because I don't care what your background is. I want you to be able to try to relate to the story. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's a great point. Something I'm going to continue to keep in mind. Um, I do, when I'm writing these stories, I do picture, uh, people of different ethnicities and different roles. A lot of times, um, it just depends on the role, but I don't even like saying necessarily what I'm picturing, um, because I know we have a worldwide audience and, um, I want you guys to be able to, like I said, plug yourselves in as much as possible, but thank you so much for the feedback. It's important. This next review says, My name is Belle and my brother is Zach. My favorite show is Grandpa's Globe and Zach's is Winglings Under the Willow Tree. More Digger, Grandpa's Globe, and Space Train and Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Susie, more Lydia, and Zeta. They're my favorite characters. Zach's favorite is Will and Dylan. My favorite episode is Nigerian, The Brass Compass Part 1 and 2. And The Globe Trotter Society Episode 8, Grandpa's Globe. I really like Nigeria and the Brass Compass as well I think that's the one with Grandpa's gadget ring that turns into the ring car and they ride on the rooftops if I'm not mistaken I could totally be wrong but it's a really cool episode I love uh, I love Grandpa's Globe I love all these stories but Grandpa's Globe's awesome the characters are really fun it is cool that Zach is uh, really into winglings under the willow tree it's so funny I, I think a lot of rocketeers when they first scan through the stories of the purple rocket they see winglings and maybe if it's like a boy who was like I don't know 10 8 11 whatever. Uh he sees Winglings and he's like oh, I don't want to I don't want to listen to a fairy story. It is actually not like a little cheesy fairy story. It's a big epic fantasy uh, uh fairy tale. So you boys out there who haven't given Winglings a shot because of the title, it might be a little w- misleading. I think you'll like it. It's a cool fantasy adventure. It's pretty intense. A lot of cool stuff in there. This next review is from Flame Knight 9396. I had to say the name like that, you guys. That name was too cool not to say. Like, Flame Knight. Beware the Flame Knight and his flaming sword. I'm not making fun of the name. I think it's actually genuinely awesome. I think this podcast is good. It is appropriate for all ages and is not too babyish. It's getting hard to find a podcast that doesn't think all the listeners are five and younger. Thanks for the podcast. Love it. Thank you, Flame Knight. Uh, I agree. Uh, hopefully, parents, you've read in the description. The podcast is really geared towards kind of the 6 to 12 crowd. Um, that's not to say a four or five-year-old can't enjoy a lot of the stories. Um, in fact, you know, some of the the, um, the younger kids at the younger uh, end of the spectrum can actually learn some bigger vocabulary words by listening to these audio stories. It really does help vocabulary development. But that being said, you know, some of these stories, as you've discovered, can be intense. There's action. Um, I, I try not to put a bunch of violence or anything like that in there or make them too scary. But... Um, you know, 6 to 12 is is kind of that sweet spot. It can be tricky to write for a wide age range like that to to keep things intense, uh, maybe like some suspense and mystery in there without totally go over, going over the heads of the younger crowd. It's uh it's a fine balance, but um great feedback. Thank you so much. Flame Knight. This next one's from Lady A1120. says, I love this podcast. Ever since my friend told me, I've been listening to this and it's the best. Literally, while I'm doing things, I'll listen to this and I'll get super excited to know what comes next. I love it. That's awesome. And that's awesome your friend told you about this podcast. Rocketeers, that's the best. That's the best compliment you can give me. If you tell your friends about this podcast, come on. It doesn't get any better than that. That's amazing. I love it. I love hearing that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like I said, I can't always get to I'm not gonna get to all these reviews. Um, but thank you so much for leaving them. You could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and you could support the show and become a patron by going to patreon.com slash purple rocket podcast, and you can support the show that way. So thank you so much, Rocketeers, for checking back, for listening regularly, for your feedback, your letters, your drawings. It's amazing. Thank you, Mom, Roxanne Webb, for looking over this story for me. And a huge thank you to my family, who really makes the ultimate sacrifice of letting me step away to write and record these stories outside of my full-time job. So, um, pretty amazing. Anyway, Rocketeers, thank you so much. Check back next time for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.